Welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowds Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie. And in this episode, right before Christmas, we've just got Jason today. So how are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Jackie. It's been quite a while since I've appeared on Ascending Olympus. And so it's been uh, pretty good throughout that time to keep listening to the episodes as you and everyone else has done and appeared on. And yeah, happy to be here again tonight and contribute to some more uh, Olympics content in the lead up to the winter games yeah and i mean we've been talking about the lead up and how the aussies have been going in the lead up and it was a big weekend for the aussies um we might start with the skeleton which <laughs> we'll start with nick timmings at the ibsf north american cup which he was the overall winner in the men's category um a little bit unexpected just because he's had a slower start to this season. I'm assuming that there was a much smaller field, but to win an overall event um, and choose to skip a World Cup event and do this, it's clearly paid off. Yeah, you'd think that, um, you know, a World Cup would sort of be on your bucket list as well. But um, the fact that he's gone to this North American Cup, he's performed well, he's the overall winner, um, you know, just sort of proves that he's ready for um he's ready for the winter olympics as well and yeah that he performed really well yeah and then we had ash werner who was also in lake placid and she won silver we mentioned the first one in the world cup for the monobob but she also there were three world cups for the monobob events uh in lake placid in the past week she won silver every single time so Getting that consistency up, uh, there were others competing in Altenburg and there were different results over there. But then she also did the two women bobsleigh events in the North American Cup and got two silvers there. So this is clearly the best, better kind of track for her than those uh, Austrian and German tracks were earlier on in the season. Yeah, I mean, what, five podium finishes, all silver. Um, it just proves that she can be up there um, for all the sort of competitions that she's entered and competes at and it really bodes well for a couple of months' time where hopefully she continues those podium places and hopefully goes one better and gets a gold and um, as sort of a payoff for all these silvers. Yeah, and well, speaking of Altenburg before, um, we didn't have Bree Walker in the bobsleigh, but Jackie Narricott was competing in the skeleton and she finished in 23rd. Uh, her qualifying run was a time of one minute and one second. And... 23rd seems to be where she's hitting like those are her lower rank places she's had a couple of like 19th and 13th but the goal is Beijing and she's still sticking within the window of going to Beijing as far as qualifying spots are concerned I think there's only like three weekends left as far as like where quota spots are going to come from so hopefully she can get a bit further up there yeah, hopefully. That's um, one that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on and watching and, yeah, hoping for all the best because we do want her in Beijing. Yeah, and then we've got the cross-country, which the Australian Olympic Committee's website said that it was in Germany and Australia. Um, fortunately, there's no snow in Australia right now. so the I don't see how that's possible. Cross-country skiing was definitely not in Australia. It was in Austria. <laughs> But uh, Philip Bellingham, who teamed up with Serveta Camp, uh, had the best result for the Australians overall. They were 14th in their semifinal. And then in the final, they ended up 26th overall, which, I mean, they were only 15 seconds behind the winners. Um, so it's a big event, like a lot of people starting. 
Um, so to get that close to the winners, I think is a fair achievement. And they also competed in the individual sprint. Bellingham had 74th and DeCamp finished 80th. And then we also saw a couple of the women competing. Amy Watson was in the women's 10K Classic. She finished 18th. Casey Wright was in the 15K Mass Start event and finished 20th, which when we compare how our starts were going in last week's World Cup events, and these were Continental Cups in Austria, um, big improvements because we're in the like 90s and 100s last week. Yeah, well, that's great to see that improvement and, um, you know, you don't really hear about this or see them get too many opportunities to sort of um, race. And so, uh, yeah, to see this improvement and go up, you know, at least sort of 10 spots from those 90s into the 80s and even the 70s, as you said, um, you know, it just continues that momentum that and that sort of belief that they can, you know, continue with this sort of run that they're having um, into a sort of really important time um, in their qualification. Yeah, and then we've got alpine skiing, which if there was somewhere where I'd want to be doing alpine skiing, it would be the location of the 2026 Olymp uh, Winter Olympics, which is Cortino di Ampezzo in Italy. Um, that was where some of them were. Well, that's where the snowboarders were. I mean, while the ski alpine athletes were in France. Um, so Greta Small was one of the ones in France. She finished 46th in the Super G event and 41st in the downhill and then over in Italy, Harvey Edmondson finished 57th in the men's parallel giant slalom in the snowboarding. And Millie Bongiorno finished 45th, which they're all pretty good results for the Aussies. Um, the Alpine events are very tough and we've had some good results. We've had some mixed results. I would say that these are on the side of being good. <laughs> yeah, a couple of uh, you know places in the 40s and early 50s, I think that is pretty good. And then we had ski cross and we'll talk about snowboard cross a little bit later. The ski cross has had two double weekends where they've got two competitions. Uh, Sammy Kennedy Sims was in Arosa. She finished 19th. Um, and then Robbie Morrison and Doug Crawford were in the men's in Arosa and they finished 58th and 59th. We didn't actually send anyone to the second event. And these, all the skiers get to take a little bit of a break and then go to Canada for the next World Cup event in January. So I would say that it's a well-earned Christmas holiday, but I'm sure that there's going to be plenty of training still happening on the way to go. Yeah, no, you, you, you almost think that sort of training just doesn't stop um, over Christmas or New Year, especially when they've got an Olympics coming up in, you know, sort of less than a month and a half, I guess it is now. Um, you know, yeah, they're always going to be training. They've got that World Cup coming up, so they want to be training for that and they want to be readying themselves um, as much as they can for that, which will just um, present a bit more sort of momentum going into the Olympics that's, that follows that. Yeah, and it's the first time in a few weeks that we've seen Tess Cody in the half pipe for the snowboarding. Still not hearing too much about where Scotty James is at, and I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing about him getting some results. But Tess ended up finishing eighth in the women's snowboard slope style, got a 48.75. Um, big difference between her and the winners. Uh, <laughs> the event winner, Kiwi Zoe sadovsky Sino, got a 97.75. Um, I... That, the difference between eighth and first in any normal competition, not that much. 
yeah. a bit crazy. Um, but then we also had the men's and 16-year-old Valentino Guzli finished sixth. And this was a, like, chockers field. Uh, Sean White was there. And uh, just a little spoiler, he beat Sean White. <laughs> so he got an 80, a flat 83. Sean White ended up finishing seventh. So... I don't know, at 16, beating a three-time Olympic champion, that, like, <laughs> you'd be like, I can that's die all, That's today. already, like, life achievement, life made. Like, I wouldn't ever <laughs> dream of that. Um, and the fact that he's achieved that, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, just hoping that he can do it at an Olympics and maybe be a little closer to a podium. But uh, the Japanese superstars of Yuto Chitsuka, who won gold, and Rika Hirano, who won bronze, um, uh, setting Japan up for a good Olympics. And Taylor Gold, unfortunately, did not stick to his name's medal colour and won silver. But <laughs> it's a good podium and it's previewing what this Olympic podium could look like. Um, we obviously need to see a little more of Scotty James to see if he's getting back to that podium that he got on last time. But I think that Yuto Tertsuga is going to be very hard to beat come the Olympics at this stage. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it, but uh, we do wish all the best to Scotty James and we do want him to podium as well because we do want to see his success on the world stage at all times. He's, he's, a, great, he's a great competitor. And we've just locked in a luge quota spot this weekend, which I don't know. I didn't think that we were as close as we are. I thought it was going to be a lot more to the line with the luge, um, unlike the bobsleigh where we've basically got two, like a spot in the monobob and a spot in the two women. But Alex Velazzo, after finishing 25th in his first run and improving and ending up 23rd overall after his second run, um, which the fact that he was 1.374 seconds behind uh, Johannes Ludwig, who is the clear favourite to win gold in Beijing, um, not that big of a deal because another another week, another quota spot for Aussies um, that's basically yeah it's considered that it's sewn up now so hopefully just he can continue and have it be a quota spot that is not like right on the line by the end of qualifying and is uh, like he was well and truly in with the qualifying yeah we love anytime an Australian receives a quota spot you know it just um sort of signifies their sort of path and you know their almost path to Beijing um which is great to see from an Australian point of view and so Hopefully, yeah, by the end of it, that that is sort of uh, set in stone now and hopefully we do see him compete in Beijing. Yeah, and as I said, we were going to get to the snowboard cross. It was also in Italy, but rather than being in Cortina, it was in Seravina. Uh, and Belle Brockhoff won her second medal in a row. This week it was a bronze. Uh, Italian Michaela Moyli and Fagaluni from the US uh, edged her out, but in snowboard cross it is very close by the end some weeks um it's good to see that she's winning back-to-backs in the individual events there was no team event this week i believe and i mean the medal that we're hoping for is that mixed snowboard cross event but fellow teammate cam bolton also had a season best performance last weekend and ended up getting fourth so that means that he made the big final which is a big deal yes finish last or second to last depending on how many they had in that big final but it means you're in the fourth best in the competition 
Yeah, no, that, <laughs> being fourth best, you'd have to be happy about that in any respect. Um, but yeah, Bell Brokoff winning bronze, um, you know, just shows that it's a strong start to the season with those back-to-back -back podiums. And um, while it was a close race, it sort of show, showed that we can sort of expect her to be up against the best and uh, be up in the podiums as well. Yeah, and I mean... Sarah and I talked last week about like the digital graphs for like where people are going to get medals from or how the countries are going to get like gold, silver, bronze. And Australia had two gold, I think, in that. Um, Jakaya Anthony is making a very good case for her being one of those two gold medals because she won two gold medals last weekend um, in the Moguls singles and the Moguls jewel events. And she's now the World Cup leader overall for the women's and that's nothing to sniff at because she was already holding the yellow bib last week and now she's basically just bumped up, up a fair few points ahead of like her nearest competition. She got a 85.07 to reach the super final in the singles. And we talked about like a big difference earlier between Tess Cody and the winners. Uh, but the difference between first and second in this was a little over a little under eight points. Um, so second place skier Anri Kawamura got a 77.21 and the American who won bronze got a 76.63. But also Britt Cox finished in fourth and was just off the podium by 0.43 with a 76.42. Um, the Aussie women are doing very well. Those are the two that are expected to be up there. But with four quota spots, it makes me excited for the next two that can be like getting close yeah that's right I mean yeah so we had Kara Anthony obviously sort of a really big lead between first and second but those scores um between you know between second and fourth and all of those athletes bunched together um you know just shows how close it is um how close the competition is and so everyone will need to be on their best um we obviously have Britt Cox up in that mix as well so he's hoping that with those next few events that she can sort of score enough to be in those in that top three of those events and grab those quota spots um because that'll be really great to see you know triple olympian um hoping to go for her fourth yeah and like the conditions looked a lot better than last week's conditions. Last week it was snowing and you couldn't see them from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill on camera. Um, whereas this week it looked like it was blue skies and beautiful and that clearly favours the Aussies because also Brody Summers only just missed out on the super final, finishing in seventh. And yeah, I look at that. Yes, we've lost Matt Graham to injury. Maybe he should be back by the Olympics, but like, touch wood is kind of the situation there um but the fact that Brody's just climbing and climbing and hopefully will end up on a podium at a world cup event pre the olympics or at least start making a few more consistent super finals says good things yeah, about aussie moguls yeah no it's really great to see um all these aussies in the moguls performing really well before tokyo and getting all these sort of um you know best place finishes and um, top rankings and so it really bodes well for them going into the next couple of events in the lead up to Beijing and hopefully yeah as we said we can see them podium or place at a couple more events in the lead up and really take that momentum going into Beijing because we do want to see them at Beijing and getting medals um, especially if Mogul is one of those sports that 
we're predicted to do quite well in. We've got a quite extensive group of uh, skiers in that in that sport, and so hopefully we can fill a couple of quota spots and fill a couple of spots at the Olympics, and yeah, hopefully we can cheer them on. Yeah, I'm very excited for the moguls at the Olympics. It's just like it's my second sport to figure skating, and <laughs> the more good Aussie results, and even just like the Aussies doing a little bit good. <laughs> Uh, makes me more and more excited but we'll move on to the news items we don't have many this week it's going to be a shorter episode heading into Christmas but but we've seen countries issue diplomatic boycotts in recent weeks um our opinions are well known (laughs) as far as the diplomatic boycotts are concerned but the IOC has actually made the decision to rescind an invitation to Gwyneth Henke she competed as an Olympian for Australia as Gwyneth Maloney um, and was Australia's first female in first female Olympian. So she will not be going to Beijing for the opening ceremony, unfortunately. Um, Thomas Hart cited that it was because of COVID-19 concerns, particularly with the new Omicron variant. Um, and I can understand it. It's also just a little bit sad that she won't be able to go. It is the 70th anniversary of her competing. Um, but she's in her 90s as well. So it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. And you're always cautious about, you know, the world that we live in at the moment um, and the new variant that has popped up. Um, it is a very, it is very disappointing that she can't be there. Um, it'll be the first Winter Olympics that they've missed um, since attending the last 18. Um, and, and her husband, Jeffrey, has been the chef de mission of the Australian team on a number of occasions as well. So basically, you know, the pair of them uh, not being able to attend Beijing is really disappointing, um, considering all their history um, with Winter Olympics and with Australian Winter Olympics. Um, But yeah, I know that they'll be cheering on the team from back in Australia and, um, you know, still holding out hope that we can bring home a lot of medals. Yeah, I hope that they get to interview them um like whether it's channel seven or someone else that is an australian partner that there's a few interviews with them because 70 years is a long time like from when you first competed and it's something that should be celebrated not everyone gets to live past 70 years of their last time they competed yeah that's right um you know a great uh, anniversary 70 years and yeah as we said it would be just it's very disappointing that they won't be able to celebrate in Beijing at the Winter Olympics itself, but um, no doubt that they will be watching eagerly um, and celebrating and sort of reflecting on their time at the Winter Olympics as well. Yeah, and an interesting little article came out, I believe it was on Monday, but it might have actually come out on Sunday night, and that is that there are now concerns that the NHL players will not be going to the Winter Olympics. Um, Obviously, this is in relation to COVID, but the NHL and the NHL Players Association issued a joint statement saying they were actively discussing the matter. So at the time of recording, and it's possibly changed come Thursday evening, um, they are discussing the matter. There's also been some shifts in the draw this season because of the new variant, uh, and they will announce a final determination in the coming days, which given how hard the Players Association fought for their... um, thought for the players to actually be able to go to the Olympics um, for the next two Olympics and then it will get reviewed again. 
it's going to be so disappointing if the hockey players can't that do want to go are unable to go um due to these circumstances yeah that's right and as you said they did need to fight so hard to be able to attend the games they weren't able to or nhl players weren't able to attend uh the 2018 games in pyeongchang um, an agreement couldn't be reached about having these um high level athletes that compete in the nhl compete also for the olympic games um, so it would be disappointing if NHL athletes were to miss out this year, this time around as well, um, considering just because they're now able to with the agreement that was reached earlier in the year. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, the NHL have been burdened by COVID-19 throughout their season so far already, you know, you've seen teams um, have to bring up players from their sort of minor league development sides as well, and they're sort of now becoming the first choice players because of COVID-19 protocols um, to the main squad as well. So it is affecting the lower leagues of the NHL and all their affiliate teams. And so you do sort of wonder a little bit um, the effects that, um, you know, while the NHL does take a couple of weeks break over the Olympics that, you know, just this sort of um, build up of players testing positive, players sitting out because of COVID-19 protocols already um, and already the lower leagues being stretched as well, um, sort of what that means for the Olympics, whether, you know, you get like the real sort of, it sounds mean, but like, you know, the bottom of the barrel sort of players um, or whether everything will be okay come the Olympics. You just, you just don't know. Um, and yeah, as the Players Association have said, that there is just a lot of uncertainty about what everything could mean and whether we will see NHL players compete. Yeah, and it sounds like a real sticking point for the players and also the NHL is the possibility of a five-week quarantine, which does sound like overkill. I thought that the extended quarantine was a three-week quarantine and it was only going to be for people that are unvaccinated, um, which if you're in the NHL, just get vaccinated. Like, no offence just get vaccinated then you don't have to do all those quarantines if that's what it's going to be but then there's the additional if someone tests positive while they're over there um which i think we all hope that there are not and there's not an outbreak at the winter olympics just as we didn't have a huge outbreak at the summer olympics um you could be stuck quarantining in china for three to five weeks so if you got put in a situation where you weren't vaccinated for whatever reason um had to quarantine for three weeks beforehand be at the Olympics for two weeks and then like got COVID, like tested positive for COVID, then had to do another three to five weeks quarantine in China. That There is an argument for that not being worth it. Um, as much fun as I'm sure an Olympic Games are, and it is something that a lot of athletes work towards their entire lives. At the same time, you have to do six weeks worth of quarantine, six to eight weeks at that point. Um, that's insane. And realistically, the IOC... And the Chinese Olympic Committee, uh, Chinese Olympic Committee and governments do need to actually give some clear rules as far as what the quarantine is going to be and what the protocols are going to be beyond the like four hubs um, kind of thing. Because otherwise people are going to be more hesitant to go. If you don't know until you're ho hopping on a plane whether you're going to be in quarantine, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's still so much uncertainty and there's, um, you know, around the protocols that they might be under um you know before they leave while they're in the air 
when they touch down in China, it, they just don't know. Um, and yeah, that is really unsettling um, to any sort of athlete that gets put in that situation. It'll really take a toll on them um, sort of mentally and physically to undertake those sort of protocols and those sort of measures or even be told at the very last minute that things are changing. Um, you know, even now we're seeing that the information coming out could have could be changing from what they've previously been told. And um, yeah, there's just, it just spirals out like that. Um, and I'm guessing that this won't be the last sort of conversation that is how, had around this issue um, in the lead up to the games. No, I think that it's gonna keep getting talked about. I think that if the NHL and the NHL Players Association are at least on the same page, there's not gonna be some massive lawsuit that comes out of it. Um, but at the same time, if they're not on the same page, the NHL is like, no, nah, you can't send your players. Um, I'd like to be in court to see how that pans out because <laughs> if the Players Association wants players to go and the players that want to go are stopped go from going despite the deal that was signed for the CBA, um, that's madness. Like, And it's just not worth the risk for the NHL at least. Yeah, and I think like the thing about the NHL as well is that's obviously the premier um you know american and canadian league and there are some other countries who are very strong in ice hockey that have their own domestic leagues as well so when you factor in that the nhl have predominantly a lot of american and canadian players whereas teams such as russia um they'll be really strengthened by their domestic leagues and their domestic players so that only strengthens their teams um and their teams sort of placing about the potential of where they could stand and how they could perform against you know what is considered to probably be two of the strongest teams in america and canada in ice hockey um you know you just wonder how this affects yeah canada and america but also the other teams that you know they might think now oh you know we're a real um chance at a gold medal now who um whereas previously that's sort of been taken by america and canada <laughs> Yeah, if <laughs> if Canada and the United States are both like shut out, like it's well shut out in their own weird way because of the fact that they won't be able to have the NHL players in, and one of them makes the final. Which, granted, I can actually see Canada winning without NHL players, <laughs> despite the fact that they've got some of the best players in the world um, that are in the NHL. Uh, but that's like the new version of Miracle and Ice, essentially. It's like. <laughs> We thought we had all of our team and then suddenly they were like not able to compete and now they're here. Like well, now we've got a whole new team, a ragtag group. It's a true underdog <laughs> story, despite the fact that like Canada are never the underdogs in ice hockey, the same way that no. Russia are never the underdogs in ice hockey. Um, right. Hopefully they can sort something out. Um, I think the union and the league want to have stuff sorted out by um, sort of the early to mid-January period. That's probably the key date that they're looking at and um, until, you know, players or start to pull out, um, which, yeah, that's sort of their, their last sort of opportunity to sort of commit to going. Yeah, and, I mean, we've got our last little story for today, and if you thought that we hadn't really talked about figure skating enough, well, it's back um, because Japan and Russian nationals are on this week. Um, but the only one thing that we actually want to talk about because, like, because about Russian nationals, they're going to have a women's podium sweep no matter who they send for the Olympics. Uh, 
the big name on everyone's lips is Yuzuru Hanu, and he is expected to make his debut at Nationals on December 23rd, which is when the men's short program is. Um, I believe the men's free skate is not on Christmas this year, so <laughs> at least it won't interrupt anyone's Christmas festivities. But yeah, two-time Olympic champion, finally going to get to compete. Maybe I'm not entirely convinced until he's actually skating. <laughs> Like, until I see you and your music starts, I don't believe that you're competing just yet because I've played this game before, Yuzuru. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it'll be a really great story if he does compete um, coming back from injury. And so, you know, a two-time defending men's singles champion, um, you know, you do want him out there, um, especially if you do see how good he is, um, you know, sort of how much he's won um, and just... Yeah, how well he competes. Um, you do want him out there. Um, it's possible that he'll definitely, you know, be up there with the medals or be up there competing with the others. And so you do want him out there. Um, you know, as I said, it was a good story to come back from that ankle injury. And so, you know, you do want the best for him. Well, and you've got Yuzuru coming back. Um, Shoma Uno has had one of his best uh, early seasons in Grand Prix circuits. Uh, those two, I think Yuzuru is a five-time national champion now. Shoma's a four-time national champion, won silver last year. And then you've got young Yuma Kageyama, who is 18, 19, um, current world silver medalist, won bronze at nationals last year. The battle between the three of them is going to be crazy. And whoever wins gets their ticket booked for Beijing. And whoever doesn't win out of the three of them, I think that like the other two could finish fourth and fifth and I'd still send them regardless of who won. <laughs> like, it's one of those things. We just know that Japan's national champion in all of the events will go to the Olympics. Um, and then it's who gets those extra little spots. But I don't think there's any doubt as to whether it's going to be like, whether it will be Shoma and Yuma. I think that the question is who's going to be the men's ultimate? <laughs> <laughs> who finishes fourth at nationals but yeah and then we've obviously got the ladies event which the ladies event is the real interesting one because if a dark horse wins the gold medal who knows who's going to actually go to the olympics with those other two spots japan much like russia has like eight or nine really good girls like really good ladies skaters who could do really well at the olympics and finish top 10 but they can only send three <laughs> oh, i wouldn't I'd be happy about a top 10 finish, but if there was only three places on the line, I'd feel a bit discouraged about that. <laughs> it's just so hard. Like that Japanese ladies team, I think is borderline harder to pick than the Russian ladies team because they're all very consistent, but they all have like different assets that like you'd be like, oh, we want a team with like girls that can do triple axles or we want the most consistent skater or the most artistic skater. Like you can send three different types of skaters or three very similar types of skaters and get similar results all around. <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. You just never know. Yeah, I think that the way that I see Japan Nationals panning out, just with the way that scoring's happened this season, if everyone skates clean, Kaori Sakamoto should be Japan National Champion again. If not her, Wakaba Higuchi, because we haven't seen Rika Kahiri yet this season. And she could go back-to-back -back winning gold medals or it might be back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back at this point. <laughs> um, but it's how competitive this Japan team has been. They've had, like, of the past five, four continents, all five of them have been Japanese, but there's been four different winners. <laughs> so it's crazy town in the Japan, ladies. <laughs> yeah, very, very strong nation um, figure skating 
in that in the women's so yeah we're reaching the end of the episode her last episode before christmas but we will have an episode between uh christmas and new year's it will be our top 21 moments of 2021 that involved olympians and paralympians uh jason would you like to share your social media handle with us sure uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at <laughs> you can find me on twitter and instagram at jace herbs for both you can find me at Dodzy161 on both Twitter and Instagram as well. You can find Ascending Olympus at Ascending Ollie Pod. Uh, Ascending Olympus is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also see, see everything we talk about on this podcast on YouTube uh, at Edge of the Crowd again. Our website will be launching on January 3rd. <laughs> And the website is www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>